to which we are willing to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is a degree to which we will experience freedom in Him. It's easy to be growing in Bible knowledge and learning things about God, but not necessarily growing into becoming a more loving, humble, approachable, and teachable person. Welcome you back to the Cliff Temple Podcast, where we've been uh, going over the material in a book by uh, Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And Trevor, this is the last chapter of the book. So hard to believe that we are now eight episodes in, but um, I hope you've enjoyed it. This is uh, probably my third time reading this book, and I still feel like I've gotten stuff out of it. I feel like it still challenges me. So um, I think it's our encouragement to you to this is why we produce podcasts, something you can go back and reflect on, even if you showed up and heard it in a sermon, or if you came to a Wednesday night at Cliff Temple, go back and reflect, read the book, look over your notes. Maybe there's something you wrote that um, you need to hear today, right? There have been seasons in my life, Gannon, where I've needed to really reflect better on Sabbath. Uh, maybe there are other times where I've needed to reflect better on my emotions, you know, and so I think that's the worth on of reading books again and reflecting and kind of going back over these things. But I'm excited this week we're looking at rule of life. Is that right? We are. We are. And and developing a rule of life, which we'll unpack, is, is it's all about a developing practices that deepen our love for Christ and for each other. And, um, you know, I think sometimes when we, we have... Uh, days and seasons of our lives where we feel completely at the end of our rope we feel like we um things around us are confusing or topsy-turvy and it we come back to um the things that stabilize us and those things are the ingrained habits that we've cultivated. Uh, so if you've got a habit of uh, watching uh, your favorite sports team on a particular day of the week, um, every week, and that is a habit, uh, my guess is that habit uh, can be grounding for you. And so the question the book asks and, and then challenges all to do is to think about, okay, how are our habits uh, rooted in Christian practice? And I would even argue, how are our habits, um, the things that we already do uh, with some intention, how do we add something to them that is um, uh, noteworthy of, of Christian living uh, alongside that? So the, the way that we wake up in the morning, the way that we make our coffee, make our breakfast, the way that we go about our days, how are we not adding extra things, but how are we bringing Christ into the things that we do every day? And then how are we writing those down, articulating that as a a a uh, habit-forming way of life that draws us closer to the love of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. This um, reminds me a lot of a book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called You Are What You Love. Yeah. And um, the, I like this book because it says almost the same thing, but pitches it in the terms of worship right? so that everything he, the author says is worship. So he gives, you know, this is probably not applicable anymore, um, but he gives the example of going to the mall, right? I think. Oh, yeah. Remember all, when we went to the mall? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and he talks about going to the mall as it's basically 
built as a temple. Right? You walk in and you're serenaded and the smells are piped out by Auntie Anne's pretzels. God bless it, you know. Yeah. Um, and you get the, the pretzels and the food court is the center of the temple. And it, it, in a real way, he's he's not trying to say it is a literal temple in the way we think of Cliff Temple Baptist Church, but that it is supposed to be this sort of worship that keeps you coming back, that is an experience um, that you, you know, live into, all these things. So um, anyway, it's a helpful way of saying, you know, habit and worship, I think, are two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways in our lives. And we need to think about it in a wider scope than just, say, going to church. Yeah. So a way of life, a way of following Jesus is a lot more than a church attendance or even a morning quiet time or engagement in a, a Bible study, a small group, or a Sunday school class. Uh, and so what we're trying to see is how do we embed a way of life that is all-encompassing of our whole life, the whole life of our family? How are we doing this together? How are we spurring one another along uh, the way uh, towards loving good deeds? Towards loving good deeds? And I think, you know, the way that that Scazzaro sort of uh, challenges us to think about a rule of life, because the the word rule has negative connotations. We think of a a ruler that maybe I I, I said on Sunday that, you know, my fourth grade teacher may have slapped me with once. Um, We think of a... (laughs) Just once, though. Well, it was once, and (laughs) and then, then, you know, the the mom got involved, so it didn't happen again. But but it was just, again, that was a way that that, uh, a discipline happened in education. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, So we think of a ruler, a ruler, or something that's really um, uh, enforced, um, but a rule, Skazira wants us to think about a rule in terms of uh, guide wires uh, or a trellis, um, a framework for our life to grow upon. And so when we, we challenge ourselves to add a little bit more intention to our life, to say, oh, well, I am going to wake up at this time and I am going to do these things and I am going to invite Jesus into my car ride to work, um, th- those things establish a, a way of living that then uh, that kind of awakens in us a consciousness. The fact that I mean, God is already present, and I, and I love the fact that um, rule of, rules of life uh, shaped the uh, Christian monastics. So I mean, there was a, a, a period of uh, the church's history where the church was in great need of reform, and so there were a lot of people who went out to the desert to get serious about their faith. They created. Uh, monasteries, religious communities, intentional communities that then uh, aided the renewal of the church. And uh, one of those people who really did that well, and his rule is still in existence, is a, is a guy named uh, St. Benedict. And uh, St. Benedict um, really um, talked about how um, we are both obligated to God and a dependence on God but we're also um, obligated to one another. So it's this God and community. Um, We don't have to put God in our lives. God is already there. Our task is to realize that and to do it in the context of a caring community is is really how uh, the church exists and how the church can be shaped. So we get to do this together in a, in the context of a caring community as Cliff Temple Baptist Church in conjunction with the whole church around the world, the whole church around the city of Dallas. And so it's, it's, it's God uh, and community.
So um, the, the challenge with, with creating a rule of life or a way of life or a pattern of living that, that kind of awakens in us a bit more of a, quote, God consciousness, I guess, with the way that we, we do the daily, um, you know, might mean that we get to sit down uh, and, and describe, you know, how do I spend my days? And, and, and in my life, you know, mornings are somewhat alike, but many days are really hard to uh, repeat. I don't have a, there's not a lot of rhythm and a routine right now in my life. It's, it's sort of like you're catching balls as they come. Uh, you're reacting, you're trying to get ahead of certain things. But, but uh, you know, when I get to say, hey, I'm going to pray uh, morning and noon at night, well, then I come back to those those things. I come back to those practices, and those practices kind of help me. They shape me. They keep um, keep me moving um, toward uh, deeper holiness and, and deeper union with God. And so the challenge here is for us to kind of maybe come up with that on our own, come up with that kind of way of life or pattern or practice with our family, um, and then hopefully with our with our uh, wider church community, which we're going to start doing a little more of. Um, I don't know if we'll get to the point where we write a whole rule of life for the church. Maybe we will. But um, we'll be talking much more about discipleship in terms of, of, of stewardship. How are we stewarding our time? How are we stewarding our relationships? Even uh, what we've uh, experienced in our lives spiritually? And, and how is that uh, stewardship of our lives um, individually and as families um, become something as a community we're able to steward. I was reading a book the other day that uh, talked about, you know, the the plural of the word disciple, and, and she was just kind of being uh, tongue-in-cheek. She says the plural of the word disciple is church. <laughs> so there you go. So it's all of us uh, uh, engaged in this kind of um, excitement about an intentional way of living. Uh, that looks a lot more like Jesus than uh, numbing out to a, a Facebook feed or a, a sporting event. Yeah, it um, that's helpful to think about doing this together. Um, it's something maybe I haven't really hasn't really occurred to me. You know, I think of rule of life. I think of my family, but I don't really. Um, it's helpful to think about this in tandem with what other people are doing, right? Um, I can build my rule of life so I'm trying to be missional with neighbors, but if the other Christians on my street are not doing the same thing it's hard to do it together right like we all together need to figure out a rule of life that enables us to have margin and space and intentionality around mission and discipleship and what we do with our free time um so i think that's that's really helpful what's surprising to me is how the rule of life was often used for monastics, but now today we're looking at it as maybe a helpful tool for non-monastics, yep. which kind of seems like, how do you cross that gulf, right? Like if you, it would seem to be uh, again in a lot easier if I were a monk mm-hmm. some days, like yeah. I don't have to worry about the chaos that will ensue when my two-year-old gets up and pulls right. out the toys and right. throws a fit and all the things, right? Um, Mr. Mr. Monastic doesn't have to worry about that. He just has to worry about getting up on time for yep. early morning prayer, whatever it is. Yep, right. You're right. Um, you kind of gestured at this about the chaos of changing of life. How do you develop a rule when maybe you don't know what's going to happen that day? And and you're a pastor. You know what it's you know 
I'm sure there are a lot of days you wake up and there's stuff that happens you yeah, don't know. Yeah, no question. But there, there are things that you come back to that ground you. So it's either you're grounded by uh, unintentional practices or you're grounded by intentional ones. So so my morning routine grounds me. And I'm not a person who's – I'm not a natural routine person. I'm a creative. I'm a little flighty, my sister would say. Um, but the, 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 the pattern of my morning uh, – uh, shapes me and sets me about my day in a in a beautiful way. If I miss some of those steps, if I miss my morning run, I am longing for it uh, for the rest of the day. If I miss my Sabbath, um, and I will say on Saturday, I, I had committed to, to teach a seminar uh, in Oklahoma City on Saturday. So I, I, am, I am a pastor who went without his Sabbath uh, this week, and I can already feel it. Um, there's another week coming. God is good. Forgiveness is real. Uh, there is grace for um, schedule and, and whatever we need to, to do in our life. Um, but again, it's coming back to some of those, those practices and patterns uh, in a confusing day or in a confusing culture has the ability to shape us. And then when we're looking to our right and our left, our brothers and sisters in the church body, and we're all trying to do similar things, well, guess what? We get to feed into that. So my hope is by all of us maybe creating rules of life or, or looking at uh, the stewardship of our whole life, I'm, I'm hoping we might even be able to create a whole body of, of resources, for instance, and experiences and stories where I can look around the church and be like, okay, I'm struggling personally. I'll say, Carrie and I are really trying to pray at night together before bed. That is not something that is so deeply ingrained as a Christian practice in our life yet. Uh, but I am hopeful that surely in the uh, hundreds of people that uh, are part of, of Cliff Temple, that uh, someone has maybe a better mastery of this practice, and I might be able to learn from them by talking about it and sharing uh, my need in this area. And then, Trevor, we, be, we become a, uh, a much more mutual community where we're ministering to one another and we're really um, engaging. And I think this is why the rule of life, I mean, it's not just for monastics anymore, uh, but the monastics use these rules to reform the church. So what if a... Uh, 2022 appropriation of a pattern of life that that was kind of learned from this these kind of monastics uh, uh, so many centuries ago can enable the the reform of the church today uh, because I think the whole people of God becoming engaged in the whole mission of God is where the Reformation maybe left off. We we started, you know, Martin Luther and, and the, the great reformers did us a, a huge favor in technology and advances there enable us all to, to read the scriptures for ourselves for the first time. Um, but a lot of the organizing principles of the church, you know, uh, it's a clergy-centric kind of ways of, of being in church, were left largely untouched. And, and now I think in a, in a more open source society where we all have access to podcasts and internet and books and resources and relationships, uh, we as, as pastoral leaders are uh, using this tool and, and others to train and equip all of us to be on mission. And then when we worship together on Sundays, part of that gathering to, to uh, bring adoration uh, and to ascribe worth to God also means we get to share 
what God is doing in our everyday life, which is really, really exciting. It gives me a reason to wake up and 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 get to worship because I, I can't wait to sing. I can't wait to pray. Um, but I can't wait to hear what God's doing in the lives of those people that I deeply love and care about. What you're saying about revolution, um, there's something there for me about why so many Christians look at this Acts 2 passage that I want to read from in a second of um, people. I just get the sense, and I think I have to ask myself this. If you're listening, you have to ask yourself this. Um, People feel largely dissatisfied with just the way life is right now, which is surprising given that this is the wealthiest society that's Mm. ever walked the face of the earth. We have to ask ourselves, what at the core of it's not right that um, marriages continue to implode and um, people are continuing to be depressed at increasing numbers and suicide rates are rising? Not to be all dark and gloomy, but we have to have a real introspective look of are you satisfied with your life and um, if not we need to look at this sort of these revolutionary practices i think this is why people are looking back to what monastics did right. like 1600 years ago like 1600 years ago 2000 years ago is nothing like what we did today but there's something there that we're starting to ask like what are we doing wrong and i think that's why this book in a lot of ways is effective it's what are we doing wrong and there's a couple of keys here i don't think schizero gives us he's not handing us an answer on a platter no. but he's giving us a couple tools to look a little harder right so what are we doing with our emotions what are we doing with our family histories what are we doing why is it that society drives us so hard that we can't even stop and think about these things or that we're driving ourselves to be more divisive not in, you know inclusive so um i'll read acts two because um I think there's something here for us. It says in uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I can't tell you how many young pastors I've talked to lately who bring this passage up. Right. <laughs> it's starting to make me insane. Um, I don't think reading this passage over and over, I think it will, certainly the scriptures can change your heart. But um, just talking about wanting to be the original church and have this, I don't think is enough. I think we have to have a change in our practices that will then change our hearts and vice versa, right? Changing your hearts to change your practices because something about our society is not enabling us to do this well. I think we do a lot of things well as church. Um, I think we, we are not given enough credit as a church for the nonprofits that are started, for the life change that is done, for the things that are done. Like, I mean, how many Christians actually, like, I am not being... Uh, I'm not joking here. How many Christians actually follow what Jesus did and like they're giving money and they're caring for people and not shouting it from the rooftops or on Facebook, right? Um, I think there's a lot. And so, uh, but, but we still seem to long for something in our lives and in our churches that we keep coming back to this. Yeah. Like, oh, I really want that Acts 2 church feel. Well, and, and to really kind of think about the, the Acts 2 feel is, is, 
um, to consider we get the privilege of reading this sort of statement from Luke as he's writing about the early church, but think about all of the time and investment in relationship that it took for this Acts 2 community to meet and break bread and pray and to be in the apostles' teaching and to to sort of be witness to signs and wonders. I mean, there's, again, a sharing of life together. You've got to be in proximity. You've got to be investing time. We've got to, uh, as a church, like intentionally um, know one another, uh, be in one another's lives, uh, and celebrate together all that uh, has gone before. You know, Cliff Temple, uh, for example, uh, has... Um, made a very, very important decision years ago to stay in the neighborhood and to be faithful to uh, what God was doing in the neighborhood. And, and in uh, the, the same lifetime of many of our members, we've, we've watched the neighborhood change. Um, and, and, and here we are, uh, you know, this, the same in many respects. We're still here. And isn't that that's maybe even sort of a little bit of a, a way of understanding God is that, you know, things come and go and ebb and flow and, and God is here. Uh, God is waiting. Uh, God just, just wants us again to, to acknowledge um, uh, his presence and, and uh, open our lives to uh, his, his leading and, so I think we have a lot to celebrate here and we have a lot to sort of like teach one another about Christian practices, but so much of it stems from sort of the this this kind of impartation of DNA that has been in this church for a really, really long time and then continues continues on as we get to know and learn and care for one another. There's a... A fun story in this church that I think a lot of the maybe younger people maybe don't know, and I'm going to get to spend some time uh, with Glenn and Jean Smith um, uh, later this week. But you know the Smiths and the Boyds and the Counts and the Owens, and um, there may have been a, a two or three other families all in the early '90s uh, built houses right next to each other as a way to uh, care for one another as they aged. That they that, were hipsters before hipsters, that, or, or, or hip, you know, they probably wouldn't want to be called it, call it. But you know, this was the early '90s, and yeah. some people I even thought, I think probably thought they were a little bit over the top. But um, mm-hmm. they have been able to care for one another. Um, they were able to do life uh, in close proximity, and you know, they weren't in a monastery. Uh, they were just in a normal uh, American neighborhood, you know, in the uh, in the next suburb out. Uh, so we do have uh, demonstrations of this lived and shared community. We have, uh, you know, you see this on uh, is it Clinton Avenue. I mean, the, there's there's a number of different streets in, in several neighborhoods where people live uh, and share life. Our neighborhood network uh, is uh, seeking to to offer that not just for people who are inside the church, but for people who are her out in the neighborhood uh, for people who are not going to come to church, but they'll come and sit on your front porch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so much of the impulse of, of a practice way of living and developing community uh, is, is here. And how fun is it that we can sort of 
add a little intention, maybe write some of this stuff down, and, and that kind of then gets deposited in the lives of uh, all of the, the varied age groups and demographics represented here. There's um, something, uh, a lot of people don't realize this about what philosophy actually is, and uh, it took me a lot of studying to realize it, but when you actually read uh, the early philosophers like Aristotle, he's really more concerned about who's the happiest person on your block, Mm -hmm. emulate that person's Mm -hmm. life. That's really what it's about. It's not about you know, mathematics and all these things. I mean, those all matter, and I'm not going to downplay the importance of that. But really, we had to ask yourself in your life, who's the happiest person? Hmm. Who's living the most joyful life? Who can you look at? And I know this is difficult these days. It feels like no one's happy. Or that um, the good life is manufactured on Instagram, right? Through filters and editing and whatever else. Uh, But it... Really, I think um, Schizero has challenged me this time to think long and hard about what is the happy life. And I think that's really what the rule of life is, is, you know, you you called it a trellis, the sort of, it's just a guide. It's not supposed to be an oppression or like a list of rules that you can check off. And once you complete them all, you're an A plus Christian. (laughs) No, the goal is to really be the happiest Christian you can be. Mm. Like, think about that. What, what? Like, what if you enabled yourself to think more, how can I be a happier Christian? Mm. But but keep in mind, Jesus doesn't say that comes through sitting back and kicking your feet up. Mm-hmm. He says it's through taking up your cross. Yeah. We have to really challenge ourselves with that. Yeah. That's a hard that's a hard thing to wrap our minds around that, like, joy and thanksgiving mm. can come through sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and when you think about that, that's scary. But um, we, we, again who is the happiest person i guarantee you it's not the ceo it's not the millionaire it's not the person who's got the most followers on instagram the happiest person is probably the person over in the corner serving the poor and um living a small faithful life not even this grand christian life probably just this small meek caring lifestyle right and and i think in a lot of ways the rule of saint benedict and others speak of this right be faithful in the small things that God has yeah. given you. Yeah, and and so you know we think about categories. So um, you know y- you might uh, be taking notes right now, and you might you know think about the various categories of your life. You think about maybe uh, the things you do to cultivate your spiritual life, the things that you do to cultivate uh, friendships and relationships. Think about the things that you. Uh, uh, the way that you spend your time, the way that you use your uh, your body, your skills, uh, the ways that you use your home, uh, your car, your uh, lawnmower. Um, you, and then you might think also, of course, the way you use your intellect and, and the ways that you use your money. Um, Schizero's own uh, personal rule of life, you know, is, is he thinks about uh, prayer and rest and work and relationships. Um and, and, you know, so, so walking through uh, some of those things, walking through maybe even the, the uh, subject headings you see in, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, you know, how, what am I doing to be, uh, to be engaged in uh, teaching what am, or, 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 or being under the, the teaching of, of uh, someone who's more seasoned in the Christian life? What am I doing to, to do a fellowship? 
uh, which which in in the Greek uh, in in Acts is really this this word koinonia, which is again it's thick community, it's sharing. You can't have fellowship without sharing something in common. It's sharing food. It's sharing uh, laughter. It's sharing possessions. That's that's fellowship. Um, and, and breaking bread, or you got food again. In fact, it's it's fun. There's there's two references to eating, to breaking bread, in, in just these these six little verses. And so there's something about the early church that did always gather around food. They gathered around a meal. Uh, the communion meal was part of that meal, but it was a it was a meal. I mean, many many instances of the early church, they were they were supper clubs. Um, and and so the breaking of bread and and the prayers and uh, so so as you think about rule of life um, or, or or patterns of, of living you know just you know you might take a blank sheet of paper and and uh, write down uh, some various categories and just maybe think about okay what am I going to do am I going to do one little thing or is our family going to do one or two things that are really um, emblematic of, you know, in my case, the Sims family values and Trevor's, the Jameson family values. And that's not to talk about family values. It's just to say, what do, what do, what is it, what does it mean to be us? And then, you know, in Cliff Temple, we've got our own uh, sort of a set of values and set of practices that, that, that we get to talk about and, and show uh, to the world. Uh, so that again, the world can really be, know that it, it has been changed by Jesus and the world can know that the church just functions in a in a different way. We are, as you said, Trevor, we, we are people of joy. Um, we should be people who are carrying our cross, but we're, there's, there's something in us that is unflappable, that we, we, we know who we are and we are um, resolute in that um, joy that we have uh, in the gospel, and I think that's that's a conviction for me, and and that's a conviction uh, for all of us. You know, how do we display uh, the love of the Lord just in the way that we live our lives? Can people walking down our street or walking up onto our front porches, whatever, can they? Do they are we different? <laughs> do we have a winsome, attractive quality about the way that we live our lives? Um, if so, um, my guess is that people are going to want to know why. And when they ask why, uh, then we give uh, a response to that why. Um, but we we are we are careful not to give a response before we're asked why. I think that's the uh, you know, kind of the brilliant thing about kind of the, the, the our uh, evangelistic kind of posture is you know be ready, uh, set the table, uh, be winsome, um, and then you get to sort of. Um, give a response when people ask why in the world are you so nice <laughs> or why are you you know doing this for our neighborhood or why are you picking up trash on the street voluntarily uh, why are you opening up your the doors of your big beautiful church to to folks that are down and out every single day well because we think Jesus changed the world and we want to be uh, about that what whatever whatever we can do um, so I think that's why um, because zero kind of ends the book in, in this sort of way because it's just kind of like propelling us to put down on paper, you know, this sort of rubric for life. So I want to um, just sort of, I guess, end end the time here um, just in, a, in a, a kind of an attitude of prayer. And so 
as we um, pray, we've been drawn uh, throughout this study to an attitude of, of contemplation or silence, sort of silencing all of the little things that are going on in our brains. And so I've, I've really learned to appreciate silence as we've engaged uh, the study. And so as we think about rules, we want to be uncluttered in our thinking about rules. And so I'm just going to end uh, with this prayer that, uh, from, from Pete Scazzaro. It just says this, Unclutter my heart, O God, until I am quiet enough to hear you speak out of the silence. Help me in these few moments to stop, to listen, to wait, to be still, and to allow your presence to envelop me. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, be enveloped uh, by the love of God. Uh, reach out to him. Um, may your gaze look upon the gaze of our Lord, knowing that um, he is always present. We just uh, have to acknowledge that and lean into that. So keep leaning in and um, keep leaning in together as people uh, who are everyday ordinary people <laughs> becoming everyday missionaries for the sake of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, friends. Thanks for listening.